This is If I Go Missing, a podcast where we tell the stories of those who have gone missing so that they aren't forgotten. And maybe, just maybe, we can help bring them the justice they deserve. I am your host, Megan. And I'm your co-host, Lynn. Are you ready to dive into another story? Always. Let's do it. Let's go. Welcome to If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan. Today I have a special episode. I'm going to be covering the story of Marshall Iwasa. We will be hearing from a few of Marshall's relatives as they help to tell his story. Marshall's story was always interesting to me from the start. But once I got to speaking with his cousin Cassie, I realized that we had a bigger issue here. Right now, we're going to focus on Marshall. But if you want to hear my possible rabbit hole conspiracy, make sure to come back next week. Right now, I'm going to tell you about a man who grew up with his family in Canada. This man is Marshall Iwasa. Marshall grew up in Lethbridge. His parents separated when he was only a year old and his older sister Paige was only four. Despite not always having the easiest life, Marshall would always be found smiling. He could almost never help having that infectious, carefree smile upon his face. Every family member I talk to speaks on the bond that Marshall and his only sister Paige share. According to Marshall's mom, it has been Paige who spearheaded most of the investigation for her brother. You know, when you have that kind of closeness with your sibling, you will do whatever it takes. And that's, you know, that's how Paige and Marshall are. You know, they really um, have each other's back. Like it's, it's just a beautiful bond that they have. You know, they're best friends and, you know, they, of course, when they're little, they had their little squabbles, but as they got older, they got closer and closer. And, you know, yeah, they are, They would do whatever it takes. Growing up, Marshall was very active. He played sports and eventually got into weightlifting. Marshall's mother even recalls him being a talented football player, but his gentle nature ended up having him quit the game. Marshall's family also describes him as being very shy and quiet. So shy and quiet, in fact, that his mom shared a touching story with me about the time he had to order his own food at Subway or go without. I think he was like, I think he's probably 10 or 11, maybe um, even. And so, you know, when you go to Subway and you have to ask what you want on your sandwich, he wouldn't even do that. He was so shy. And I, I thought, oh my God, I am worried that, he, you know, what's gonna happen that he's, he's so shy. And so I said one day, I said, Marshall, I said, you have to order this because I'm not going to do it. You, you need to do this. And, you know, he went without a sandwich. <laughs> he <laughs> couldn't do it. While Marshall was extremely quiet and shy, he was also a person who was always down to go camping, hiking, or do anything adventurous with those he cared for, especially his sister Paige. 
I want you all to get to know Marshall a little better before we jump into his story. So I'm going to share some of his family members' favorite memories with him. I think my most favorite is me and him, um, before I moved to Hawaii, we took about a month and a half together and just traveled to Hawaii ourselves and just kind of like with beach bombs and hanging out. And then, you know, once I moved to Hawaii, he would come up every year and come visit us. We do different activities. Our birthdays are around the same, they're about seven days apart. So we normally like pick an activity to do together um, for our birthdays. So like last year um, that we were there together, we went shark diving um, together. So it's like cageless shark diving. And the year before that, we had been like swimming out in the middle of the ocean and we ran into like a pod of wild dolphins and we're swimming with them. It was pretty cool. That was his sister Paige. His cousin Cassie says he was always a big hit with the children and the family as well. So Marshall is, so I'm Marshall's cousin through marriage. My husband is Marshall's first cousin. And so I've been part of the family for about 15 years. So Marshall would have been quite, he would have been a kid when I first met him. And since I met him, he was always quiet. Um, yeah, just super, like he always had a smile on his face. And, but even just seeing him recently, like we went camping with him this past summer, he was just kind of down for anything, would always be there. And he was also such a big teddy bear. Like we have a big family with lots of kids and all the kids that were obsessed with Marshall climb all over him. And, you know, he just was so chill and just, yeah, a down for anything person, but never really, like no one ever had a problem with Marshall. He was just a super chill, relaxed, nice guy. His mother spoke of his kind, gentle nature. Like he, he um, this is the kind of kid. Like he, he was him and Paige, um, because Paige is you know three years older. Um, she would um, not not beat him up or anything like that, but you know, kind of you know what siblings you know tease each other and you know take each other's things and that kind of stuff. Just. And this was when they were very young. And, and so Paige would, you know, kind of torment Marshall. She would say to him, Marshall, can I have your allowance? And Marshall would just give it to her. I said to Paige, I said, you know, Paige, one day Marshall's going to be bigger than you. And he, you're not going to be able to get away with this. Like, but he never, ever retaliated. The city in which Marshall grew up is called Lethbridge. Lethbridge is also where he went missing from. Interestingly enough, Lethbridge cracked the national list at 15th overall in the McLean's Magazine all-crime category. Just four communities in Alberta were deemed more dangerous than Lethbridge. According to McLean's, the most recent national increase comes predominantly from a jump in fraud Level 1 Sexual Assault and Theft Lethbridge sits fifth in the nation in terms of its fraud rate. Property crimes, specifically break-and-enters, were also reported by McLean's to be far above the Canadian average in Lethbridge. The breaking and entering rate in Lethbridge was 883.19, more than double the national number of 431.24. 
Lethbridge's rate for trafficking and producing drugs other than cannabis and cocaine, including heroin, ecstasy, and methamphetamines, was also nearly six times the average. When examining a five-year change, Lethbridge sat third in 2019 based on the five-year increase in crime, but on the 2020 list, the city fell two spots to fifth. Based on a five-year CSI jump from 79.58 to 159. This is a far cry from the Lethbridge that Marshall's mother Tammy remembers from when she grew up and from when her kids were growing up. She and I have talked at great lengths about the crime in Lethbridge and how it has changed so drastically from the time that her children were growing up to now and what most people attribute it to. It's, Lethbridge used to be a very safe place. Like, you didn't lock your doors. You, you know what? You, you know, it was very, very, very safe. And um, then a few years ago, we got a safe consumption site. And that seemed to really be so detrimental to Lethbridge. It, I mean, crime went up. I mean, we see needles and drug paraphernalia and, you know, kids and people who are unfortunately really, really messed up. And like, for instance, I've worked at where I work for, let's see, Marshall was one when I started here. So I've worked here for 25 years plus and we never had problems in our parking lot for, I work at a law firm. Well, we have people shooting up in our, in our parking lot. You know, it's just, it's really sad what has happened. Cause Lethbridge is, you know, small. It's like a hundred plus, hundred thousand plus. I can't remember like it's 110,000 or something like that. I, I don't, I don't know the size to be honest, but it's just over a hundred thousand, I believe. And so it's a nice, small community, right? And that has really, really changed. Like we've become, I thought they said the fourth most dangerous city per capita in Canada. We went from this little tiny quiet place to this, now we're, we're the fourth most dangerous place per capita. That is crazy that that could happen in such a short time and the only thing that most people link it to is safe consumption sites you know what is safe consumption it's where they provide needles and um for drugs for um for addicts they're not yeah they're not shooting up in the street but the sad thing is is that like they check to make sure their drugs are okay. And then they, they're supposed to shoot up there. And what happens is they don't. And so we have needles discarded and, you know, all the, all the things that they need to use to, to get high all over the place. I mean, for us, it's all over the place. Like it's, it's, it's visible. On the day Marshall was last seen, he was with his mother. It was November 17th, 2019. 
He was last seen leaving her home in Lethbridge, which is in Alberta, Canada. According to family, Marshall was very well-versed in computers, even building his own computer. On the day he went missing, Marshall had made the drive from the basement apartment he rented in Calgary to Lethbridge, where he grew up. I learned from speaking with his cousin Cassie that he was going to Lethbridge because he needed parts for his computer he was building, and these parts were inside a storage locker that he shared with his older sister Paige. Before he went to the storage unit, though, he decided to go visit his mother at her home. Tammy was the last person to see her son, Marshall, before he went missing. After spending some time together, Marshall left his mother's home around 11 p.m. She urged and offered him to stay the night because it was getting late, but Marshall declined because he really needed to go back to Calgary. After leaving his mother's home, relatives speculate he probably arrived at the storage unit around 11.30 p.m. Unfortunately, it was also around this time that the facility stopped letting people into their units for the night. Surveillance footage of the storage facility is also unfortunately unavailable. But what we do know from passcode record attempts is that Marshall attempted to enter his passcode at the storage facility multiple times throughout the night. But the storage facility was, in fact, closed, and he finally got in around 6 a.m. the next day when they opened back up. He then remained in the facility until 8.30 a.m. Later, searches by police and family would find nothing suspicious or even missing from the facility. After this last sighting at the facility, we have no more sightings of Marshall. It's as if he just drops off the map completely. No one would even know anything was wrong until a week later when Marshall's truck was found. Marshall's truck would be found 13 hours away in the neighboring province of British Columbia near a remote cabin called Brian Waddington Hut near Pemberton, British Columbia. The truck was completely burnt out, with many personal items that should have been inside the truck scattered around the truck on the ground. But you know what? I really want to talk about the area this truck was found in, you guys. Like, it makes no sense. The area is only accessible by logging roads not shown on GPS or Google Maps. Like, literally, you guys, I put it in my Google Maps, and Google told me it was sorry, but it could not find any route to that area. Like, it's impossible for someone to use a GPS to get to this location. And it's just, like, the weirdest spot that his truck would be. Yeah, this, um, this company took us up there that yeah, specializes in rough terrain I guess and even before we started going up the steep road like the vehicles had to stop and let air out of their tires a little bit which I didn't even know was a thing but yeah just to get us up there kind of didn't even look like we should have been driving on it like it looked like we should have got out and walked like that's how narrow it got and we had to go through like a creek and yeah it was just we're like if <laughs> it was just so bizarre day one there's been a lot of local people from that have joined our page and they've all told us like 
this is not somewhere that someone just ends up. Like, you have to know where you're going. And even we did know where we were going. We had a map of it, and we still got lost. So they thought this entire time that it's someone that's familiar with the area that took it there. From day one, there's been a lot of local people from that have joined our page, and they've all told us, like, this is not somewhere that someone just ends up. Like, you have to know where you're going. And even we did know where we were going. We had a map of it, and we still got lost. So they thought this entire time that it's someone that's familiar with the area that took it there. Like, literally, you guys, I put it in my Google Maps, and Google told me it was sorry, but it could not find any route to that area. Like, it's impossible for someone to use a GPS to get to this location. So, to get here, rolling out the ability of using a GPS, you have to know the lay of the land. You have to be familiar with the location. Familiar with the terrain. This terrain is some extremely rugged backcountry. I mean, it's mountainous. It's... Is not something that your average truck can handle. You at least have to have four-wheel drive. And I would honestly say from everything I've heard from the family, you need to lift your truck up too. And Marshall's truck was not lifted. Furthermore, this remote location, not on GPS, you know, kind of a local spot. Marshall has never even been to this spot. He didn't even know about it. So you can rule out the possibility that he typed somewhere in his GPS and followed the GPS up there because that's not even an option. So he didn't know the location and we've proven that you cannot simply map it out. How in the world would he get there? And even more insane, how in the world would his truck get there? It just doesn't make any sense. Even a specialized vehicle has to take certain precautions to help the ride go a little easier. It's not an easy ride. And the place where the truck was found wasn't like home, right? He's never been there. There's no ties to that area at all. And that's what we've been pushing since the beginning. Like it doesn't make sense for his truck to even be there. Because like other than some of his items being found, that could have been in his truck um, in that location. We've never seen any proof that he was there. The spot where it's at is so remote in the middle of nowhere. Like, and the trail to get there was super difficult. It's not a real road. We had to have a further road take us up there because none of our vehicles would have made it at all. So these vehicles not only were for real drive, but they had special tires on them, they were lifted, and they had special kits in them that would allow them to pull over the rough terrain. And you, and you could see, like, you know, like, and his truck when they were looking, it looked like it had been, like, really damaged, and I can't see him doing that to his own vehicle. Like, he would have had to, like, really damage it to get it over there. When Marshall's family arrived, the scene they saw laid out before them was just as it had been described. What they found was the burnt-out shell of what was Marshall's blue truck. The paint was now burnt down to primer and rust. The windshield was melted out of place and clumped up all over the hood. Even the tires on Marshall's truck were gone thanks to the immense heat. If you look at the pictures on the ground beside the tire rims, you can even see chunks of tire bits, you know, the parts that hadn't yet melted away. As they got to looking around, they noticed some discrepancies between the pictures that were first taken by the hikers who found Marshall's truck and the pictures from the RCMP. 
And if you guys aren't from Canada and don't know what that means, it is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. When I asked the family about why they thought this discrepancy may have been, Marshall's cousin Cassie said, quote, we aren't really sure. So when the hikers got to the truck, they described the scene as very eerie, like they were being watched. So much so that they didn't even finish their hike. They went back down. The hikers told us they didn't touch anything. But when we compare photos to the hikers sent to us to the ones we received from the RCMP, there were many things moved, end quote. She also said to keep in mind that a full day had elapsed between the time the truck was found by hikers and the time RCMP went up there to it. The location was so remote, in fact, that even the RCMP apparently couldn't find the truck the first day they went out after the phone call from the hikers. So, at this point, there's really no telling if someone was in fact there and the hikers, like, came up on them and startled them. And then, like, once the hikers left, that person maybe moved some items. Or what? I mean, there's really no telling. It's a really big question mark. The group of hikers even told the media that the area was littered with items from the truck. Marshall's passport, some clothes, three smashed cell phones, and a destroyed laptop were only a few of the items present. All of these items have now been bagged up by police. The hikers compared the scene of Marshall's truck to that of a crime scene that had a very eerie feeling. While investigators have said there's nothing to suggest foul play, I say I have to disagree, but this is where the case gets really muddled. Being from the United States, our laws and customs are quite different when someone goes missing as opposed to the laws in Canada. In America, we have a right to track our loved one's bank statements to monitor for activity, as well as their phones and anything else that could leave a trace behind regarding their whereabouts. Canada actually has this law that kind of protects missing persons since, yes, adults do have a right to walk away from their life, but it's this same rule that's hurting Marshall right now. Since I didn't understand the law fully enough to explain it to you listeners, I've asked Marshall's mom to explain it. Having a missing persons, having it treated as a missing persons file, we, we can't get information. We'd have to get like a, it's like a special order that only the, police can get we can't even petition the courts ourselves the only ones who can get it are the police they have to have they have to feel that it's criminal criminal element or criminal intent it's a missing persons act and so what that is is that um adults um i'm I'm sure this doesn't qualify for minors but adults it's not um it's not a crime to go missing. Someone can decide that they just want to disappear. And so there's so much FOIP, Privacy Act, that and people cover their ass and don't give out information because they don't want to get in trouble. So they have this policy in place that, oh, okay, we, we can't provide any information. Like Paige was the emergency contact for SAID, and they didn't let her know that you know, what was going on with Marshall. Um, you know, they, they just kept everything quiet. 
state won't even put posters of Marshall up in their school, in their it's a college um, or tech, a tech school. You know, it, it's this Missing Person Act is just, I mean, it protects the privacy of an individual, but that protection is now harming Marshall. That, you know, not wanting information to go out is harming Marshall. I mean, we have phoned banks and trying to get records opened up. And I mean, people want to help, but they can't because there's these policies put in place that they're not allowed to give any information. You, you can't get into his bank account. You can't get into his phone records without this order. And the only way we're going to get the order is that if the police feel that this is has a, a crime has been committed. That is the only way that we can open that up. In the end, the big issue we're running into right now is that the RCMP do not believe a crime has been committed. Question, isn't the intentional burning of a truck a crime? Like, is that not arson? Why can't that be enough to get this case turned criminal? That way we can really dig in and find out what's going on. The big deal with having this case go criminal is that without it, the RCMP can't do anything. We can't get DNA. We can't try to lift fingerprints. Nothing. If it's just a missing person, there's so many laws protecting that person that it actually is stalling the case. Our best hope of finding Marshall is if we can get this case turned criminal. If at this point I have not convinced you of the need and the urgency to help find Marshall, please let these words from his mother really resonate with you and think about him for a second. So sad, you know, as a mom, you want to do is protect your kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I still, I know Marshall's an adult and so is Paige, but... You know, as a mom, you still sort of think of them as a young child. And so I feel like my young child is out there. And I don't know where he is. And we don't know what happened to him. And, you know, I just want somehow to bring him home. Like, bring him home to Paige. You know, so that her life can can be back to normal and my life and Marshall's life and our whole family's life can go back because it is our whole family is broken. If you have any information on Marshall or any further details into the case or his whereabouts, please, please, I urge you to contact the police in Canada. Even if what you saw you think is nothing, it could be something huge and you just don't know it. Nothing is too small to tell, not when somebody's missing. It's time to do the right thing, to step up, be courageous, say what you know, what you hear or what you saw, and help bring Marshall home. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, 
edit and produce them all myself and it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at if I go missing podcast. Then we also have our Twitter and that one is at Megan Noel pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel podcast. And we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is if I go missing a podcast.